welcome back to the What the Fork Sunderland preview show. What a whirlwind fortnight it has been for Sunderland. We are managerless still, as it sounds, but fearless. And the lads have made it two wins from two with a richly deserved victory over Leeds at the Stadium Light on Tuesday. That said, can Mike Dodds do it on a cold, frosty day in Bristol this Saturday and get the job himself? Who knows? But we do need to get our away form back on track. It's been quite a while since we've been to Bristol, but um, one man to let us know about all the changes that have been there is returning guest Dave from Forever at Bristol City. Dave, it's been eight months, give or take. Um, I I can't. We played you at yours back mm-hmm. in February time when we had so. one of our new signings from the January transfer window. I think scored a pen in the last minute, or we got a pen. It was a draw, and then the last time you played us at ours, it was the start. It was the opening game of last season when I think um, it was allowed you out up front. Um, Sims, oh Sims, Ellis Sims got a couple. Yeah, and you beat us three two. I think it was three two. Our first, our first win back in the championship. Our first away yeah. game. Your first home game. Yeah, yeah. So but it's been, been a it's been a tumultuous uh, few months for us, really. Um, fans about, aren't happy. I did want to ask about obviously first and foremost, there's tons to get into here because manager changes, all that kind of stuff. But we'll, we'll start with Tuesday's game. Obviously, while we were beating Leeds, you got beat two one to Blackburn. Look. I think Blackburn not a bad side. Their league position says as much. But how was the performance, and how do you feel a few days on? Okay, a performance. Well, obviously Blackburn were coming into this game off the back of losing three one at home to Leeds. Their top striker, uh, top scorer in the division, Sammy Smodix, was an ex player of ours who we paid money for. Never made it at Ashton Gate for whatever reason. He was one of those clubs in the bag, but restored his career at Peterborough, doing great for them. So we went there on the back of Lou's uh, getting a 1-1 draw at Huddersfield. And it was, you know, do we we maybe we deserved a point. I mean, we started well, and then Blackburn got into their stride, got a good goal. Smodix didn't score, but he set it up for Sigurdsson. Uh, so one at half time, conceded from a set piece. And we were looking a little bit ragged, to be honest. Uh, we're playing in a distinctly different way to how we used to, but we'll talk more about that later. Then he made some substitutions, which really shook the game up. Um, and we got a deserved equaliser, a cracking goal. You know, we had some good chances. Um, and the local feeling was from Blackburn, listening to their media, that they felt they were lucky to get all three points. But the manager then, with 10 minutes to go, inexplicably took off our two best players, who are full Ireland internationals. That's uh, Mark Sykes and uh, and, and um, Jason Knight. And the last 10 minutes, you know, it, it was a bit of a stalemate, really. We didn't create anything. Neither did they. So it's put more pressure on. Our last six games were have gone one win, one nil against Middlesbrough. Uh, sorry, three two against Middlesbrough, but two defeat, uh, three defeats and two draws. Prior to that, Pearson had lost five of his previous seven. So, you know, where any more defeats in a row, we're going to be looking over our shoulders, not up to the playoffs. And only ten days ago, two less than two weeks ago, we were four points off the playoffs. But that's starting to look a a bigger gap now. I think really, yeah. So decent. Performance, but like the curate said, decent in parts on Tuesday night at Ewood Park. I think we're going to dig into Liam Mannon, of course, because he's the man that's going to be in the dugout. So, most importantly, I guess he should take precedent, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk about Nigel Pearson first because a few people have asked me a question about Mowbray and said, I was really surprised, but as a Sunderland fan, you knew it was coming. So, when I say I thought Pearson's departure was a surprise, it might be the same way because he looked like he was 
plodding along. You've just had a stat there, which might indicate a lot. But why was his time at the club brought to an end? And what were your feelings on it? Okay, I'll tell you what the feelings were. I mean, when everybody, uh, when Nigel was appointed in March 21, was in the middle of the COVID season, the tail end, he had to clear up an absolute you don't mind me swearing on here, but it's not a swear word, an absolute shit show left behind by one of your former managers, Lee Johnson, who was succeeded uh. by <laughs> Dean Holden, uh, but also our chief exec, who's now being controlled in an effective way at Ipswich, Mark Ashton. So we had massive financial losses. And the big thing about Nigel, he's only won 15 games in each of the seasons in charge. So it's been slow progress painfully slow but we've had a reset we've had a reset without the usual relegation to league one it's slow in the summer we were told there was going to be some spending but we sold alex scott as you know and i think pearson had the rug pulled under him from a little bit because the sales of scott and semenyo to both the bournemouth actually it's a Bristol City Feeder Club, which sounds bizarre, that's raised 35 million quid. And Pearson's only been allowed to spend, I'll ignore wages, only been allowed to spend about 6 million. Added into that, some of the big signings from the Johnson, Ashton era, which were on high wages, people like Callas, Famara Deju, Casey Palmer, who went to, uh, uh, who went to Coventry. Uh, those three were high wage earners. They cost the club in transfer fees in excess of 20 million. They went out the door for nothing. And we had losses over a three-year period of about 70 million quid. Now, because of COVID and various other things, you know, and selling Semenyo last year, we're not in danger of suffering anything on FFP. So Nigel has been a custodian of that. The fans wanted, the fans expected more money to be spent. Now, in the summer, we did go out and make some decent signings, not least Ross McCrory, who was the going to fill the problem right-back position for us, who was a great player for Aberdeen. We paid about two million quid for him. Uh, Knight from Derby, similar sort of money, good player, our star player so far this season, Rob Dickey, defender, 800 grand from QPR. Poor season last season, but was well-respected prior to that. So Pearson, he signed another lad, Hayden Roberts, who was ex-Brighton, spent a lot of time at um, on loan at Derby last season. So everything was set up, but McCroy, he had the injuries, not spending the money, and we had an okay start. We weren't doing too bad. Now, getting back to the question, why did he leave? When Pearson arrived, you know, everybody knows what Nigel Pearson's like. He can be gruff with the media. You know, you, you ask him the question in the wrong way and you won't be called an ostrich, but you know. how. It, but I've met him a couple of times outside of games and he's he's a solid bloke. He is a solid bloke. A bit like Mowbray, though. He's that next generation. He's that old generation. But he was doing okay. Um not long after he joined, or about a year after he joined, he described the owner's previous policy of buying high, sorry, buying low and selling high, which pre-COVID sort of worked to a point, but not really. Um, he described it as bonkers. And our owner, who manages the club through his son, so our owner is Steve Lansdowne, of, of the, the financial 
people at Hargreaves Lansdowne, not actively involved. His son, um, John Lansdowne, has only got that job because he's a Lansdowne. They don't like being criticised, right? So the card was in the ground there, and you always sense, even at some fans' meetings when they were both there, an element of tension. Now, Nigel's contract was up in the summer, 2024, next summer, and everybody's been saying for the last six months, you've really got to come out in the open and say, you know, we're going to give you a year's extension. So everybody thought he was worthy of a year's extension. Come the start of October, when we lost, lost narrowly at Leeds, he was asked about his contract. And he said, you better ask people up, upstairs. Why are you always asking me? And in the absence of a chief exec who'd also walked, a chief exec who was recommended to the club by, uh, we believe, uh, Richard Scudamore, XFA, the chief exec was a guy called Phil Alexander, he walked, and nobody knows why. He was only in post for six months. So Nigel was fronting up everything. We'd also lost the previous chief executive, Richard Gould, to go and be uh, chief executive of uh, the English Cricket Board. And Gould and Pearson as a combo were working together quite well. But Nigel said after the Leeds game, I'm irritated. And from then on, it wasn't a case of how long, it wasn't a case of if, but how long. So the fans, the fans, they're split. There's a lot of tension. If you get a goal up on Saturday against us, there's a lot of tension going on. Okay, on social media, is that representative of the group? Who knows? But the fans think Nigel was stitched up by not having a little more of the Scott money. So, and they and they dressed it up. They should have come clean because Nigel hadn't been. On the grass, he's had a bad back problem. Yeah, serious it was thought, but he said nothing massively serious. Everything was being done by his coaches, which were um, Curtis Fleming and Jason Yule. Now, how good they are, who knows? Um, but they went. The physio went, who Nigel had bought from Leicester, but we've had a succession of injuries before Nigel. It's just been a disaster. We've been a disaster from injuries. Um, but his card was marked. There were talks about the players having too long off for the international break. The board were doing everything they possibly could. And by the board, we're talking about the Lansdowns doing everything they could to undermine him. But if you looked at it, statistically, we weren't doing great. But the fans were in favour of Nigel and anti the board. And our owner, he's put in 300 million. If you look at the ground and everything over a 20 year period, and some people have spent half of that and have had a lot more to show for it. So we're a club, you've you've had good times and I know you've been down in League One, but we're a club that have been underachieving for 43 years, had a financial benefit benefactor who spunked his money away on certain bad decisions with managers, stuff like that. Lee Johnson would never have got a job in a championship club other than at Bristol City. And when he went, it was probably two years too late. Yeah, so we are we are the victims and now we're... Who did we want as manager? I think we'll talk about Manning in a minute, but, you know, there were fanciful names like Lampard being mentioned. Uh, I think a lot of fans would have been happy with 
John Eustace, who got chucked out of got chucked out of Birmingham for no real reason. Um, we've brought in somebody who had less experience, and when Lee Johnson came, and I feel really sorry for the guy because you know he's the one carrying the can for what's possibly going to evolve over the next few weeks. And he does look a bit like a rabbit in headlights. I thought the appointment of money was was weird um, in the sense that Pearson's the polar opposite, which we said, one's old school. Manning, I remember Manning quite well from when he went MK Dons and he started incredibly well. And for a point, they looked the third best team in League One and the third best team sometimes goes on and wins the League One playoffs as it was kind of shot the bed a little bit. We won the playoffs. He got beat off Wickham. And then his next season, absolutely shot the bed. And basically, they were borderline relegated before he got sacked. Then he goes to Oxford, does quite well, immediately jump ship, more or less, comes to Bristol City. But it just felt like, I don't know, a trendy appointment because he's young and he's a coach. But but what's the early impressions been? You've, you've hinted a bit, but it just seemed an odd appointment for me. Well, the general, if you look at our social media now, I mean, and the odd appointment, the right thing to have done, getting back to Nigel, was to said, Nigel, we're not going to renew your contract. You're not well, right? He's He's been ill. He couldn't do training. He was on crutches at every game. We're going to honour your contract up to the end of the year, which end of June. You leave, get yourself fit. Thank you for your service. The thing is, Liam Manning, he's got an inexperienced assistant. I call it inexperienced. And I thought when he came from Oxford, you'll know this player, one of his team at Oxford was Craig Short, who's played a lot of football at the highest level. And I thought, okay, you know, you've got that young guy. He needs an old head, experienced coach, director of football type. Oh, hang on. We just got rid of one of those. That was Nigel Pearson. Now, the man who is in the ascendancy in terms of in the eyes of the board, who's also getting pelters, and he's a club legend, and that's Brian Tinian, who used to play for Newcastle, but he's been associated with Bristol City since about 1991. You know, he's come off social media. Um, He had a short spell as manager back in 2004-05, but we're operating no chief exec, a, a, a chairman, not a proper chief exec, it's a bit of a mess. And your term trendy appointment, I'd agree with that because people are saying he's like an artificial intelligence manager that when you get, listen to his answers, it's all about the process and everything like that. And people have already noticed he's looking, he looks that he's not a gregarious. Pearson was a character, not gregarious. This guy, everybody thinks he's out of his depth. And, you know, we're thinking next five games before the window opens, you know, we got you and we got Hull at home and then away to Watford and Birmingham, right? We could well and truly be in that bottom six now that QPR are starting to put some form together because it looked like the bottom three were cut adrift. They're not. But he's trying to make us change football. And whilst we were the lowest scorers, we had the third best defence in the league when Pearson left. And that's not happening. So he's trying to do it's, it's so-called front foot football, but in really it's it's very it, it's very possession based, but with no end product. Looking at Alex Scott, twenty five million, gone to Bournemouth, big player. I think we spoke last season about him. We we kind of you always felt you know he's going to go at some point. 
He's yep. been injured, so he's not really played that much. But how much has he lost actually affected Bristol City? Was the twenty-five million beneficial? I think. I think. I'll it? be honest. I said. I probably said this on your podcast last season. Uh, I thought it was a little bit of style over substance with Alex Scott because for a player of twenty-five million ability, you'd be expecting him to rip it up like Jude. Be- well, you got Bellingham's brother now, but you'd expect him to be a standout player, and he did it in the cup game against Man City. He did it in flashes, but he didn't do it enough. And he was not being played in his best position. He was played a lot of, maybe not last season, but his first season in a right-back role. But I was, I thought it was great for the club to get 25 million. Funny enough, the way that's being paid is in four stages. And we sold him injured. He didn't play. He played three games and a Palomines, a Bournemouth fan. He said in those three games, he looked the real deal. And then he got injured again and he's out until the spring. So was he a loss? I'd say yes. But based on impacting on games last season, it's difficult to call. It's difficult to call. Would we have won? I mean, we've lost nine games now, I think. Would we have won any? I, I really don't know. He's clearly a talent. And if we haven't got the injuries we had, I'm just thinking where where would he fit in in the team at the moment? And you know, yes, he could, of course, he'd start. But I think in Jason Knight, who cost us two million quid, I think we've got a very good 22 year old player. I think he is who inspires me when I watch him. I won't say more than Alex Scott, but he's all action. He's involved in everything. And as I say, the fans, if we'd have gone out and bought two more at that two million level and not had McCrory injured, but just had a couple more, maybe a big man up front, I think we'd, I'd be feeling a lot happier and the fans would be happier, but they don't, again, harking back, they don't like how Pearson was treated, but that's coloured by they don't feel the the Lansdowns have spent the money. So Pearson's got a halo factor that if you look at results, it was a little bit right, uh, good, but we're not that great. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I remember we spoke before the game and, and obviously the chat was Alex Scott because he was getting the headlines. But the one that impressed me most from memory was was Sam Bell, which is another young boy that's come through and well Sam like- Bell yeah, Sam Bell has made it to the England under-20. He was playing the other week. He did the assist for the goal. Um, you'll think I'm mad, but I'm going to say the same about Sam Bell as what I said about Alex Scott. His effect on the game, in fact, he scored four goals this season. I think he's only 20. Um, but he could well be even left out of the starting lineup. This Saturday, because he's not, he has looked like a little boy lost out on the wing. So, Sam Bell, it's, you know, if he didn't play on Saturday, I he wouldn't be in my starting 11, let's put it like that, this weekend. And it's a, when nine subs, although we're only naming eight at the moment, it's a, it's a, it's a squad game even on a match day now when you look at the multiple subs that can be made. He wouldn't be in my starting 11, though. Look at it. Sunderland, we you spoke the other week and we said obviously two new people in the dugout. We, as we're speaking, haven't got one as yet. I think it'll be Mike Dodds in charge. Um, I'm not sure what you'd make of us in some ways, though, because two big wins against two really good teams in the last week, but no manager, and we haven't won away from home for 
a while. Yeah, and you've lost three and drawn three of your last six away, haven't you? Correct. Um, from what you've seen, and I know you won't watch this every week and no one's an expert on anyone other than their own club, but what have you made of Sunderland over the past sort of year, six months? Um, I think, I mean, look, you, you got to the playoffs last season. You're a big club. I don't know how many fans you're bringing down to Ashton Gate this weekend. Two and a half? Sold out two or three, something like that. Yeah, so, you know, you're a well-supported club. You know, you have the... If they had Prem One and Prem Two in terms of a setup in this country, you'd be in you'd be in that without question because you're you're a big club. And I look at I look at you. I mean, I'm aware of I'm aware of Jack Clark as Luco Nine. You know, I watch the odd game, and you know, you you have stuttered and started a bit. I watched I watched how you guys were doing when Lee Johnson was there, and much as I. I'm sorry, I despise him because he's a nice human being. But I thought he was harshly treated by Sunderland when he was exited. Okay, the fact that I think you lost four, five, and six nil to Portsmouth, Bolton, and your other chief rivals. He might not last till Christmas at Fleetwood, by the way, if you look at their results. Yeah. But so I had that interest and I I looked at the I, I used to look regularly at the fans forum. So I think you're a good, I think you 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 were good enough to get up in to the playoffs last season. And you're always got you're going to be one of those sides that's there or thereabouts just because of the critical mass that you've got as a club. I watched your documentaries, you know, Sunderland Till I Die, both of those with interest. I thought it was absolutely great because you can relate to that level of football. I mean, you were a big club in League One, you know, and you were badly managed as well off the off the pitch during that period but you know when you're doing well that you'll get crowds of 40,000 there and considering three I'll say prior to our stadium development we were only getting crowds of typically 15 16 and we're getting 21 22 which for Bristol is pretty damn good at the end of the day I want to I kind of was debating bringing this guy up or not but I'm going to do it um I did despise Lee Johnson, but just not my kind of guy. But obviously, he's, I don't know if you class him as a legend of Bristol City, but he's got a lot of time there as a manager, a lot of time there as a um, as also a, a player. He came to Sunderland, big job in a division where you know we historically have never really been in, and and he did, you know, half that season that we went up, he he did get results in those points when we near the top of the league. But as you said before, six nil at Bolton, I was there. It was awful. Um, but I think he was really highly rated. Like after he left Bristol city and people felt he'd stayed there too long, which you touched on before. You look at his time. Now he failed at hips. I've got loads of hips mates. Don't like him. Fleetwood. He's streaking again. Streaky Lee. Yeah. Now that you've been away from Lee Johnson for a considerable amount of time, are you surprised how, and this is all due respect to Fleetwood, but how far he sank as opposed to kind of like going upwards? Look, I think you say about Lee Johnson's playing career, Lee Johnson had 400 league games in his career and his dad was manager for 350 of those, right? So don't get me going on that. So he played. The, la- the, la- the, the Johnsons ingratiated themselves with the Lansdowne family. I mean, when dad got a sack, you know, it was the only press conference when a manager has left that the chairman's there and almost apologising for letting him go. But that was because of a player result revolt. But that's a story for another day. When he got made manager, there was a degree of inevitability about it, right? And when it happened, it was probably, 
you know, as I said earlier, he was the only, he, Bristol City was the only championship club that was considered employing him because he'd had a mediocre record at Oldham and Barnsley. And you've got to go back six years. I mean, if there's a defining moment in his time at Bristol City, he took over from um, Steve Cottrell, who was a caretaker thing. He got rid of Wade Elliott, who was one of the coaching staff, because Wade had experience and was a good bloke. Wade failed at Cheltenham, but that's that's by the by. And first season he was in charge, we had Tammy Abraham, prolific goal scorer. Everybody know what Tammy went on to do, but we almost got relegated that season. But then six years ago was the season when he had a threadbare squad, so he had to play a particular formation. And that was a year where we were right on Wolves' tail at Christmas. We beat Man United in that quarterfinal. We lost to Wolves. We played two good games against Man City in the semi-final. But that Wolves game at Christmas, we were 48 points with half the season gone. And we ended up in the second half of that season getting 67 points. That was the match where you guys came down and we were 3-0 up and you drew 3-0, if you remember that. So Lee Johnson lived a charmed life. He had money spent. And Lee Johnson's biggest problem, this is just my view, is that his ego is so big. If he could get rid of his ego because he's probably a good coach. And if he had a person above him that knew more about football than he did, which is quite a few people that do, and he had a bit more humility, he might turn into a good manager. But if he gets binned off by Fleetwood, then his next stop is Conference League South. I really mean that. Because he's not, he's not, he's not without ideas. He's not without ideas, but his cheeky chappy demeanor up north, as we would say, with you guys, it's going to rub people out the wrong way. Me being cheap. You're nodding, you're nodding, and you know what it's like, is in front of the camera. Hey, you know, one, one of our podcast contributors, he can, he does a great impression of his dad <laughs> and his son. We, he, 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 In fact, that's one of my podcast contributors that was called by somebody the other day on our YouTube, a spouting hobbit, which I thought was one of the best, best character descriptives. You could ever give somebody, but yeah. So that's that's my thoughts on Lee Johnson. You know, just, I just, you're good. You're not bad, but listen, don't have such a big ego. And and Liam Manning has come in to join us as manager with less of a record, not the cheeky chappy demeanor, and he's boring the ass off of everybody. And he's only been here six weeks. Barely yeah. that. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you on Johnson. I want to add more to it, but you kind of said what I felt. There is something. I just don't know what. And those streaks that he goes on. I mean, we got warned. I did a podcast when he came in and I said, look, he's a... I said, I struck you Johnson. And I thought, oh, has he done something that I don't know about? But then it turned out the meant results. Um, but it continued at Hibs. It's continuing at Fleetwood at the moment. And I just feel... Yeah. It just He can't seem to get rid of it. And look, it's a... It's definitely a conversation that could be had. But um, you touched on a, a few players before. I've got two more for you. Um, you mentioned, obviously, Jack Clark and a couple of other players. But is there any particular positions where you're weak and you think, you know, we could get at you a little bit? Any players from our side that concern you? <laughs> oh, based on... that's easy. That is, is easy. <laughs> oh, absolutely easy. I mean, as a team, we're not physically very strong. We've not got anybody in our team. No. Um, Rob Dickey, centre-half. Sound bloke, he can take the ball out of defence, but he's solid. Yeah, campering solid. We'll line up, we'll have a back four. It could might look like a three, 
I'm going to say the weak link. The weak link is a right back, George Tanner, right? Clubs play on him. And he put an own goal in the other week when we lost against Norwich. Um, you know, we signed him from Carlisle three years ago. He's only 21. Again, nice lad. He was a product of the Man United Academy. Yeah. He got caught in possession for the goal that led to Huddersfield's goal last week. He's not on it. So if I was targeting, I'd say target that position there. We're totally lacking in creativity in midfield. We've got Matty James, obviously, you know, he, he I'll say he cruises through he cruises through games. Um, and Joe Williams, the one that should play. In, and, and then Leon Knight is sort of playing more in front and playing everywhere. I mean, he had three chances to score in the second half. He was almost like a number 10. Um, but have we got any real weaknesses? Um, if Sam Bell plays on the left, it, it, I'm say it's a weakness, but our crossing is appalling. Our crossing is appalling. Uh, and if you if you run, run at us hard through midfield, you, you know, you'll probably, you know, you'll probably, I'm, um, you'll probably win the game. I would think, yeah. Uh, I mean, our main forward threat at the moment is uh, Tommy Conway. He's made it into the Scottish side. Uh, he scored those two goals at Rotherham when he came on as a sub after injury. It was on Sky. Mark Sykes is a good player, but this manager's taken him off in that game Saturday. I choose Saturday at Huddersfield. Our good spell was when he had Sykes and I took them off. We were in the ascendancy looking to go level. He took him off with 10 minutes to go and it was game over. Um, Cal Naismith is out injured. Naki Wells is out injured. And if McCrory was fit, he would be in that right back berth, no question. If Atkinson was fit, we'd probably pair three of Viner, Atkinson and Dickey. But Atkinson did his ACL uh I think it was at Sunderland actually because he he went oh, down did. innocuously. Yeah, he, he went did. down innocuously, so he's he would be in there. But you know, no, no Tanner's the only weak link, and he's at right back. He's at right back. Where's number nineteen? Jack Clark should have fun then, hopefully. Um, well, I did notice that Jack <laughs> is on the left, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> I was hoping yeah. you'd say that. Um, yeah, I've had two predictions right this year so if you're a betting person listening to this don't take any suggestions from me although i did get one right the other week um but i actually really fancy us at the weekend i think it'll be caretaker manager again i don't think we're gonna have a manager in charge but off the back of two good wins with due and away result you've made me feel a bit more positive which i don't know if it's a positive or a negative for you dave but i'll take something two one but where are you going with it good question um i think you'd do us and I think I'm going to go same score, 2-1. Works for me. Last time we both went in the same score, I was right. That was a draw, but I'll definitely take the win this week. But Dave, always good catching up, mate. I'm pleased yeah. to see you doing well. Um, things will probably yeah. change come next time we speak again. But um, where can yeah. we find, obviously, Forever Bristol City if you want to listen to the stuff after the game? Uh, our stuff, our review of the game, we're recording it live on YouTube on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. And then it'll be on Spotify and Apple and all the rest of it. Uh, it goes live on Twitter as well at nine. So if you mm -hmm. want to tune in, you'll see the uh, gang of four, uh, including the Spouting Hobbit. Anybody can work out <laughs> which one that is. Uh, more than welcome. But uh, no, we enjoy it. And uh, it, it's it, it's a good crack. But uh, I hope we'll be talking 
in a positive mood, but I've got my doubts this weekend because, as you say, you're on a, a little bit of a roll and you haven't won away for six. I'd love it, as Kevin Keegan once said. I'd really love it if uh, if we won, but mm, there's a bit of doom and gloom at the moment in some quarters, I have to say. Yeah. But, um, yeah, good luck, except tomorrow, Saturday, or whatever. Of course, yes, <laughs> the weekend, yes. I'll, I'll back at you. Um, Dave, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Right.